2: are amazing, 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 amazing.
3: There's
0: a fly ball, hit on the left, waiting is Jones, the Mets of the World Champion. Here's the one-two pitch, check him out, Steve has 19 strikeouts. Swung on, hit on the ground toward first. Deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run, this one has a chance, home run, Mike Piazza, and the Mets lead 3-2. To, to left field, Floyd, and after running rough shot over the National League, the Mets have a timeless show for it, 2006 National League East Champions. Here's the payoff pitch from Familia to Fowler, on the way. And it's in there strike three The Mets win the pennant! The New York Mets have won the National League
1: pennant! Put in the box! It's another edition of the Talkie Mets Podcast here on this Wednesday, February the 6th, 2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Welcome back post-Super Bowl. We always take our uh, time off uh, the week of the Super Bowl. It's been a little over a week since we last uh, joined each other, and I'm glad to be back. And now that football's over, and yes, you would think there'd be a ton of baseball news now that the whole Super Bowl thing is out of our system 48 hours later, but the NBA trading deadline this week. So in a lot of ways, depending on what part of the country you're in, and I know there's a lot of activity here in New York. Really, the baseball season starts after Thursday's NBA trade deadline because you don't care what the Knicks' record is; you just want to see who they acquire. But uh, we're, uh, you know, we're like about about ten days away, less than ten days away to spring training. And I decided to take a little bit of a different approach to this show. We have plenty of time to get into the warm up to spring training. And I know there's still a bunch of free agents out there, and there's still some talk about what the Mets are going to do, maybe bring in some other players. But um, I had an opportunity, and I think this is an interesting show that you guys will enjoy, because if you remember back right around New Year, I'd done a feature on an article in The Athletic by Robert Andrew Powell about Mike Piazza and his ownership of an Italian soccer league team. And I said at the time, I thought it was a fascinating story, if you remember, and uh, if you hadn't listened to the podcast, but if you remember when Mike came back for his Hall of Fame and, uh, and induction ceremony at Shea, State, Shea Stadium G's City Field, sometimes it still slips out there, uh, there was some talk about how he had just bought an Italian soccer league team, He even made reference in his speech about how he's an owner now, kind of making a joke about give the Wilpons a break and, and all that stuff, and... It went away because unless you're a hardcore soccer fan, you're not really paying a lot of attention to it here in New York. I'll, I'll admit I wasn't. And then a story uh, came out in December about how the team went bankrupt, uh, described Mike as his, uh, you know, this being his midlife crisis, uh, all the failures financially with the team. And part of that was his wife, Alicia, who... Didn't come across really well in the piece. Essentially, came across uh, the way it was described by the author as you know, kind of parachuting in, really upset that Mike's uh, investment was going awry, and put in place a lot of different things that didn't make her look good. Uh, cost-cutting measures, you know, things that made her out to be somewhat petty. And, you know, it was almost like Major League when, you know, the owner comes in and, you know, tries to crash the team. That was how it was described. And it was a fascinating story. We had Robert on. We discussed it. We discussed the the challenges athletes have after they retire and in relation to maybe, you know, Mike trying to get back in the sauce a little bit and and not going, well, we left it at that. And, you know, it was put away. And I figured the end of the story, well... A couple of days later, uh, Mike's wife, who was also VP of the team, Alicia, reached out to me and said, hey, I heard the podcast, and I'd like to talk to you, and I had an opportunity to talk to her offline, and we both agreed after hearing the story that maybe there needs to be more to this out there than just the story in The Athletic that had the side of the town, a 100-year-old town that now lost their team, uh, the side that described Mike as getting into this bad business investment, which he did. Uh, but more where it was impulsive and more of a midlife crisis. And then where she came in and basically crashed this thing because it wasn't what she wanted to do. I mean, that's the impression you'd get reading that piece from The Athletic. Well, that's not the case. And you'll hear from Alicia. I had a chance to catch up with her a little over a week ago, maybe 10 days ago or so. And she agreed to come on the podcast and and give their side the family side of the story. And I'll let you listen to her because if you listen to her, I think your impression of her after reading the piece, if you haven't read it in The Athletic, which is called The Passion of Mike Piazza, is going to be different. I think the thing that I didn't realize is that they easily could have bailed on this soccer team very early in the investment. They didn't have to last two years. And and they admit, and you'll hear Alicia talk, they got into bad business partners. They got into a a business investment that – they regret and they're working through right now, but they could have easily jumped ship early in this thing. And they tried to make it work. And really what she was trying to do in her role was not to go into the offices and be a pain in the neck and, and bother people and, and and heavy hand them. She was trying to make sure that an investment that they had put a ton of their life savings into uh, that was going awry. Didn't, you know, totally steer them off the cliff. They, they lost pretty much about 13-14 million euros which you guys could go online and do the conversion rate in dollars that's, you know, not 13 or 14 million dollars. So uh, you're looking at a situation where they've lost a significant amount of money, but they wanted it to work. But Mike had a passion for the sport of soccer. He loved the players, the on the field stuff. And I think you got that from the piece. That was the one thing from the original piece that you got is Mike's passion for working with athletes and motivating them and really being part of the soccer culture. But most importantly, you know, she'll talk about the corruption, uh, how they felt they were in an unfair game. You'll hear at one point, she'll describe it at times where they felt like it was like wrestling. I talk about the salt in the eyes of the uh, (laughs) – when the referee's not looking, you either throw salt in their eyes or back in the day, they used to – they had that one wrestler – If you remember, the genius used to have the scroll, used to bonk uh, referees over the head if you're an old school wrestling fan. But kind of like that, uh, they were very close to potentially bringing that team that originally was uh, at one point, I believe, Series D, which is amateur. uh, And they were in Series C during the ownership to Series B. and, uh, And and that would have probably potentially at least, along with some other investments, saved the team from going bankrupt, which has been in financial trouble before. At the end of the day, there's a lot of layers to this, and there's a lot of different subplots and stories. And I think that to do it justice, you really have to first, um, I think, listen to what she has to say, which will come up in a couple of minutes here. Second, I do think even though you're going to get a much different take, you should read the Athletic article. And I'm not here to stump for the Athletic. I get no money from from it. Uh, I know it's a subscription-based product, but there's some good content over there. Uh, Just last night, NBA content, baseball content, Ken Rosenthal's over there, MLB, Fox, uh, you know him uh, very well. There's a lot of good content there. Uh, You also have to remember when it comes to a story of this magnitude, former athlete, Hall of Famer, uh, a guy that is popular in New York culture, sports culture, that it's much easier to write a narrative. And we've talked about that on this show, about how to get the business of media Moving forward, successful, profitable. Sometimes you have to have a really good story. A former Met, I'll say all I'll say is a former Met. It has nothing to do with Mike, and it's not Mike. I will tell you that. Once told me he knows for a fact, in talking to two very popular radio hosts in this town, they told him off the air, "Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story." That's that is a quote from a former Met, someone who's was part of the team about 10, 12 years ago when we were talking about media and especially radio, which is what this, you know, which basically I derive from, that don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. And sometimes you could take a lot of different facts, you could take those facts, and you could build a case that is a much more entertaining case that makes, unfortunately, some people hurt, look look bad or hurt them. Um, and then you walk away with a really good story, a lot of clicks, a lot of buzz, and then you're on to your next piece because uh, now you look like a hero. Now, I have nothing against Robert Andrew Powell. I am not here to, to to denigrate anything about this story. I will tell you after you hear Alicia, after my conversations with her, getting her take, talking to her about what Mike's take is on things, that perhaps what you read was a take of uh, a scorn town more so a writer that perhaps had a bit of an agenda going in to write a certain slant on the piece. Um, And I'm going to leave it at this. Uh, I report in a sense where I let now one side tell what their perspective was on the story. I'm letting the other side now, which you'll hear in a minute or so, tell their side. And then you decide what you believe to be the truth. And, And honestly, you can probably do a little bit of research if you are so inclined on your own. Uh, there are other articles out there uh, that that get into this, and I'm sure at some point, and I believe Mike is going to be at spring training this year. Uh, at some point, he always is with the Mets. Uh, he may get back into it. Uh, hopefully, they spend more time focused on his work with the team and what he believes uh, certain players can and can't accomplish based on his uh, expertise. You know, Mike's coached in the uh, the WBC, so you know Mike knows baseball. And even though he's moved on to other sports post playing career. Uh, baseball is still something that we all uh, want to hear his opinion on. So, anyway, I've laid it out to you. You guys have heard the story. You've heard about how the Piazza's bankrupted this this team. Um, you know how they they came in and, and basically uh, instituted all these uh, different rules and processes to kind of make life hard for everybody. But when you listen to Mike's wife, who was also a former VP of the team, it wasn't just Mike's wife. Uh, I think you'll get a different perspective on her, on the Piazza's, on this investment and uh and you guys listen and, and you decide and i think this is a really interesting feature i thought it was an interesting story from day one because even though it's not technically mets related it's uh it is a former met and, and i think it's interesting to kind of look at some of these things when you're in the really the stretch drive of the off season and, and you're really tired of talking about free agency that's not happening anyway let's take a quick break when we return, we're going to follow up on the story the passion of mike piazza with the former VP of AC Reggiano and uh, the wife of Mike Piazza, Alicia Piazza. We'll be back with more right after this. <laughs>
2: We're back, and it's not often on this program that we have an opportunity to follow up on a story. A couple of weeks ago, you guys may have remembered, we had the author of an article over at The Athletic, Robert Andrew Powell, uh, an article about Mike Piazza, former Met, and uh, he gave his take on Mike's venture into owning an Italian uh, soccer league team, and uh, right after that, I had a chance uh, to interact with... Uh, Mike's wife also the vice president of that team Alicia Piazza and she agreed to come on the program and kind of maybe set the record straight and she had a feeling that maybe some of the things that came out during that piece weren't exactly uh, fully vetted out or their point of view so she's with me now and and I'm glad to have her on Alicia uh, welcome to the program um, you know what not a Hall of Fame catcher but the next best thing right?
3: <laughs> oh thank you and, and thank you for having me and um, you know I had wrestled with doing this interview um, Mike told me absorb the blow just absorb the blow um, but I felt like it wasn't fair and accurate and you were gracious I, I sent you an email <laughs> and you responded and we've been having some dialogue I've never done an interview or really any press from a reactive standpoint. So it's different being on this side, but I, I after a month, I really do, I still feel that it's important um, to, to kind of speak about this. So thank you for having me.
2: Not a problem. So essentially the, the, the way that it came across and I guess the misperception, if that's the right word is that, you know, this was a, a venture that Mike went into he had as a passion for Italian league soccer, you know, was positioned at the Atletico as a bit of a midlife crisis. And then at some point, because the business deal went bad, uh, you guys decided to collapse the team. That's how the story went. That's the point of view. Uh, as we've talked, uh, you feel that the real story is completely different. Not only is that not accurate, and I know that this is going to be a multi-layers in this in this answer,
3: right. but that the real right.
2: story is about the, the actual, what goes on in these leagues. But uh, that's where this was really the, the real story, but also the fact that you guys, you guys didn't just go in there uh, blindfolded and, and then decide to kick out of there. It was it was a lot more complicated than that.
3: Right. So, well, let me start with – I want to touch on the midlife crisis uh, quote for, in a second, but I want to say that if you remember Mike, after he retired, he – He basically volunteered and coached baseball for Italy for free, mind you. And he did it a few years where he was flying himself. He was paying for everything. And I remember, and he would stay a few weeks. And they were going to national, I don't know, I mean, not the best uh, with the sports uh, jargon, but they were, you know, going deep into their playoffs. And he did that for about five years and really loved it. I mean, he loved the kids. He had been watching soccer and kind of fell in love with Italy, maybe hadn't done business there. But essentially, I think he wanted to do something away from American media, and it was more innocent and appealing to him. And if he was going to give of himself and be open, because, you know, I'm sure many of you know that he's, A bit guarded in the States. Honestly, and I'm, you know, I've been racking my brain about this like, was it a midlife crisis? Because I want to be honest and frank, and I don't know that I I agree that it was. I, I feel like he just wanted to do something different and he wanted to do it without everyone watching him here. And I think his experience with the media, he has absorbed the blows and he has kind of stayed quiet but he I think he wanted to let himself be vulnerable or be generous or whatever it was this is the conversation really he should have or if he's willing to have but somewhere else and he just didn't want to do it under the eyes and and the pressure and the scrutiny that he had experienced
2: yeah Uh, where you can Uh, understand it and and yeah and I think the part that I even said during the last time when I had Robert on uh, about Mike and you you were accurate. Mike has been described as guarded by the media at times while during his playing days. Less so maybe now that he's come back to City Field as a, a Hall of Famer and the fans love him and you know it's a lot easier now when you're not playing of course. It's always about, look, everyone looks at the good stuff now. Uh when you're playing it's tough, but what came across here is that you know when he played he was the hardest working guy on the team. He was a leader by example, but no one ever described him as this passionate uh, team leader. But when you read how passionate he was with these players and the speeches and then you see the viral video about how ticked off he was, about how you guys are being treated uh, and you know, with the whole stadium and all that, that video that went out, there's a whole different side to Mike that you see. And look, he has all the accolades. He didn't have to do this. He certainly has to love the sport and the athletes that are in it to be able to put himself out there like that. I think that's what really came across across to me at least. Well, you know, reading this and, and watching the videos and what have you.
3: No, absolutely. He was so patient and so generous and, um, knew how to deal with each player, but he knew who needed what and who needed a coddling and who needed a high five and who needed nothing. And I don't know. I just think he needed to do that privately. And, the media has been tough on him over the years um some of the time i was around and some of the time i wasn't but he's always kind of bottled that and i think it manifested itself into i'm not going to show this other side of myself here i'm going to do it somewhere else that's all i can say and so i don't that makes sense yeah i don't i don't think it was because i've thought about this and thought for a month since this article hit was it a midlife crisis You know, I mean, I've said this, you know, people buy Ferraris or they get girlfriends or they do whatever. And I, I mean, I would admit it. And I'm like, no, he just wanted to show inside without, he just wanted to do it somewhere else. In terms of, this wasn't impulsive. I mean, it started with five, seven years ago, maybe even longer, the baseball, uh, you know, coaching the baseball team there, and he did that for, I don't remember how long, three or five years, and then he took a break, and he was in love with the soccer, and the fans were similar, ironically, to the fans at the Mets. He looked at a few teams. It was two years in the making of trial and error. He had attorneys. they do due diligence. Things wouldn't work out because what they presented wasn't really, you know, you dig in the books, far more debt, yada, yada. And it went on to this team. He was almost done. He almost gave up. And then this was supposed to be it. They had great fans. And he would fly back and forth. I mean, the, the legal bills were very high. It was a lot of work. And then um, Reggiana presented itself as kind of this blue-collar, hard-working. I mean, similar to the Mets, um, fans, and they just needed a break. They just needed some light. And stadium they built but was now bought by MyPay because they couldn't afford it. Supposed to be, you, can only, pay, you only have to pay expenses. And um, I don't know. It, he did due diligence. He had some local partners. It was going to be 60-40. He buys into it. And when he arrived, within three months they were out of capital, and it was a disaster. Oh, and,
2: then, and that's when you go got ahead. involved, and I think, and I think that's that's yeah, where the yeah. story turns, where you become a focus because the perception. Right. And I, and I've asked, and I've asked people who've listened to the piece. Before, you know, I did a little of my own research. Say, hey, tell me what you, oh, what no. you came away with this, because I want to know. I'm not, right, right. A, and and obviously, because of the headline, because of the fact that this team collapsed, because the project was a failure. You know, Mike came to the Mets at a tough time, turned them around and nobody thought he would stay, and now he's a Met for life, even though maybe he played as much time with the Dodgers as the Mets. People remember him as a Met, and Mets fans love him, and and nobody would have thought that. Here, you know, it didn't turn out the same way, but uh, the intentions were the same. Now, you come in, and you come into play, and the feeling or the way the perception is is that you never really wanted to get involved in this project. You got thrown in because now it's a mess, and I guess the way it came across to a lot of the fans reading it you did everything in your power to make sure this was squashed, and uh, obviously made some comments that were misconstrued. So now's your chance. I mean, you and I have talked. We know that's not the case, but a lot of the public, I guess, that's the way they perceived it from the snippets that they got from that that article or the or the quotes that were thrown out there from the media outlets that picked up that such article, that
3: said article, I should say. You you touched like you went all over the place with this, so. Y- um, yeah I'm sorry about that <laughs> no no it's okay it wasn't quite like that so he, when he did this he knew we were going to lose some money but he was really passionate about it and as I said it started kind of seven years prior so this wasn't an overnight thing wasn't it toy. I was okay with it I really was and we kind of blocked out a certain amount of money that was probably going to be lost and we were both okay with it and we were like You know, we're going to learn a lot. It's going to be an experience. And then, hey, you never know if we apply this American model because, hey, Americans know sports. They they know wine and food and pasta, but we got the sport thing. So maybe this might have been the naivete, but maybe we might get lucky. In the meantime, we expected to lose a certain amount of money. And Mike really was passionate and had been doing this for, many years. So I was okay with it. Um, what happened was when they were out of capital in three months and his partner started, the local partner started asking for money and yada, yada, he asked me, uh, he was working, can you, he flew me in and said, can you go dig around in the office? And he, you know, I have no ego. I'm not a, a soccer fan so I brought in a a translator and I started looking through contracts and digging up the finances called his financial team in the states and they sent me to KPMG in Milan and we sent in a forensic accounting team and I just basically said I think "Mm, we've got a problem and when it came time to capitalize what basically what what happened was nobody was paid. It was Christmas time. Players weren't paid. They were in a slump. Nobody had any money. His $3 million that he started with evaporated, and it was either walk away right then. Within the first three months, he went on Jimmy Kimmel, you know, promoted this thing, talked about this thing, and within three months, it was up in smoke. So we either had to figure out how to ride a bicycle while it was moving or collapse everything. (laughs) So we made a family decision to pack up the kids, move to Italy, put them in school and try to figure this out. And that's what we did.
2: And so basically you, and that's the part that really wasn't brought out there. It wasn't like when you finally decided, hey, this wasn't working, we got to stop. It wasn't that when things got tough, you first really tried to go in this and make it work. I think that's the part that never came out in the original story based on what your answer here, based on what you've said.
3: I didn't want to, I don't want to make this interview about me, even though it hurt me. And I felt like it wasn't indicative of, of who I am, but I was probably the main reason that we continued this journey. And I think in the end, when we decided after two complete years to stop, I was to blame because they thought, well, if she, If the wife would have begged or or would have said stay because she got him to stay in the beginning, well, then they would have stayed. And that's fine, whatever. But I was fully on board. I pulled my kids out of school. This is the middle of the year. You know, it's not easy to take your kids out of school, January, and put them in a school where everyone's speaking Italian. I put them in a European school. Yeah, they speak other languages and they're teaching in English, but it wasn't easy. I mean, they were kicking and screaming. We were living near, across the street from a farm with cows. It wasn't glamorous. This was not glamorous. We just, it was like a renegade. I don't even, (laughs) taking on the establishment, just, Mike was going to the field every single day with his cigar, you know, and slowly we turned things around. Slowly, little by little, things started, it went from dysfunction to function, and it the town was, it was, I mean, I don't want to brag, but it was electrifying. It was a buzz. We were under pressure. We were stressed. We were working seven days a week, seven days a week. But um, the town was happy. They were like, I mean, everyone would stop us. We've never had owners like you. We were a family. I mean, we, we realized everybody was either washing money or mafia money. Nobody was an athlete. Nobody was, had, they, they would say to me, policia. To a policia, which I thought they were saying I'm the police, it means clean, which means clean money. Players would say in Italian, uh, you know the smell of the locker room. You understand the smell of the locker room. So even though he was baseball and they were soccer, they, they respected Mike because they knew he achieved what they were trying to achieve at a very high level and we just had one obstacle after another and one battle after another and we pushed through it and pushed through it and um it it was it was a it was a bumpy ride it was exciting it was stressful it, it was everything you can imagine and challenging but there's just so much corruption and um i think that final game it was really kind of rubbing it in our faces and i think mike understood at that moment that he was an outsider. He wasn't Italian. He was Italian American, and it was heartbreaking. And we just kind of had a decision to make.
2: Well, and that's and that's part of the thing I've learned, and and even on the last piece that I did on this is that, it, you know, we're used to the American sports. And look, is there bad calls? And has there been corruption? Yes, there has been, and there's been scandals with referees and things like that, but. Uh, it seems like in Italian soccer there's a lot of issues. Uh, you mentioned you know, the money aspect and some of the not clean money that's part of it. I'm sure that trickles down into the refereeing of games. You guys were trying to take a team that at one point um, had been in uh, in the D League. And, I, again, forgive me, I'm probably bastardizing it for those who are soccer fans because I'm not one. You were in the C League. You're trying to get into the B League where there's obviously a bump up and, and more revenue. And, and, and I think that was ultimately the way that it sounds like Team was going to be saved potentially. Um, but because I guess you weren't an insider, or maybe they didn't like the success or how you guys were maybe rustling feathers, so to speak. Um, we were all of the feel above. Like,
3: Mike, all of yeah, the above. You,
2: but you didn't all feel like you were the getting above. the fair shake. Now you have the referees against you, and now all of a sudden and maybe this is a, a, a analogy you don't know, it's like the 1973 American-Russian uh, basketball game, and they're replaying the inbounds play three times, and that's kind of how it came across with that call. Now, I don't know the rules, so the call looked bad. I saw the call on uh, on video, uh, but essentially it was like an old WWF, you know, let's throw the salt in the, in the wrestler's face when the referee's not looking type of thing. So, and, oh, my and God, it's ironic. The straw the pro straw the yes, broken it w- back, you know?
3: Yes. And ironically, Mike, he sort of equated it to exactly what you said. He goes, it's like wrestling. Uh, What do you call it? The slams are real. The injuries are real, but the end results are fake. But when you're talking about four or five million euro on the line and plus, you know, all the side deals and kickbacks and everything, it's the land of the kickback. um, You go, well, do I want to stomach this again? It kind of, I don't know you're not going to change the system and Mike kind of drew a line in the sand and said okay team's up for sale I'll even give it away if you can afford it Um, or we'll stay on but local partners need to come forward and help participate in this if it's fake entertainment because if you watch the game it's not just the penalty kick. It it was a whole theatrical. It wasn't even a, a game. I mean, they were doing so many weird things. I brought my girlfriend and she flew from Dubai, and she couldn't believe her eyes. I mean, we there was ambulance coming out and fake falls. You know, they they love to do the theatrics. It was drama. It was a soap opera. The whole thing was just bizarre. It, it was embarrassing. I was embarrassed to have my girlfriend there, and then the penalty kick because we kind of won, that became just the final straw. And um, I don't know, my daughters were crying. It was just a, it was chaos. It was just complete chaos. And we drove home. It was the weirdest feeling. It wasn't like a real loss. It's something I can't describe. And you kind of realize we're out of our element here. Like, all the money in the world is not going to fit. Like, this is their game. I, I, I don't know how else to explain it, but without even saying anything, I mean, you just, and it's sad because we connected with this town and the fans, like, they lose, we lose. We lose the investment, and we had a relationship with them. We were a family-owned team, which they had never had. You know, these These fans come generation after generation, and they bring their kids. And, you know, we felt like we were letting them down, but we, I don't know. I don't know how else, I mean, how do you stomach this? Unless you partake in it, how do you await your turn? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, the only way out was really out. Uh, But Mike felt proud of what he accomplished. And... He's not embarrassed at all. No one's ever put 13 million euro into a Serie A team in 20 years. That wasn't mafia or washing money. End of story. There isn't a single owner for this team that's ever done that. So do, we're not going to rewrite I mean, history here.
2: You, um, you you had indicated to me, you guys obviously still spend time in Italy. It, it, you know, the story Uh, made it seem like you guys kind of don't spend much time there. Uh, The town was described as being upset with you guys, taking some paraphernalia of Mike's down. I mean, have you been back to the town? Would you go back as visitors? I mean, it's not like you're running out of the wild, wild west.
3: No, we live there. I'm going back tomorrow. I had my last American meal tonight. I had tacos because I can't get that there. My kids are in school there. We – Have a beach house that we rent there. We live in Parma. Um, We're litigating against our ex fake fake partners, which, you know, we'll probably never see a dime, but maybe get some justice. And that's besides the point, but absolutely not. There is no running. There is no, people see Mike, they stop him, they thank him. I think um, at the time the writer was
0: investigating or
3: doing whatever, it was the summertime. everybody was out of town or wasn't willing to speak because, you know, it was painful, but I had someone write something on my Instagram. Um, I don't know if I should say it or not, but it it affected me. And it kind of puts it in perspective. And it was a woman or a girl. And she said, we hate you. Like we loved you. Hmm. And um, I, I kind of got it like, you know, they're in this, they can't leave this mess. This is what they're born into. And we can. You know, Mike and I can exit. They can't. And maybe they thought with Mike's deep pockets and I was a fighter and we were going to take on the establishment, all of us together, and their love and the marching and the whatever, that we could change the world. But in the end, we really it wasn't enough. And that was hurtful because we we didn't want to let them down, but you kind of have to save yourself. <laughs> and they just weren't ready for Mike. He was a great leader and a great owner, and I don't care what that guy said or however he tried to spin it, I know the truth. Those players loved him, respected him. He was great with the media. He was so patient, so generous. I, I mean, they they just weren't ready, and it's 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 sad. It's really kind of sad, but it's obviously says I don't a lot of it.
2: that. Well, that's Go where ahead. I was going. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of things that you could regret, you know, from the story you tell. But I think anytime something happens and there's adversity, and Mike through his career, and I'm sure through your life, you faced adversity professionally personally you you hope that you come away with positives that drive you forward what has this been in that case for you guys or maybe it hasn't you haven't really had time to process that is there what are the one or two positives you're taking away that are going to drive you guys forward whether it's learnings or outlooks or what have you I, i think that that always is something i'm curious to find out when when someone's faced with something like this
3: no, absolutely. There, there's many. I mean, my kids are learning French and Italian. They take French every day, five days a week. We don't have the pressure of Italy now. I mean, we have a, a group of friends that are not involved in, soccer. It's a whole other world. And the further we get away from it, the more, I, I would be, I'd be able, I. I, would, I wish I could answer this question later, but Mike always says, I don't regret it, and I don't regret the money. He always says no matter what, and it's to me privately, so it's, it's not fake. He doesn't regret it. He He's sad that he couldn't make a huge difference, um, but he's like, something will come of my death. Something will come of my death. He always says that. I'm still, like, not sure if I regret it or not, but I don't regret going, you know, balls to the wall with him and let's give it 100%. Because then you regret if you don't give it 100%. I said, Mike, we got to pack up and go. You, you're you not going to be able to do this tandem, you know, go back and forth. I said, you, you got to mind the store. I don't regret that. But after I read that article, which we were not in a position to take an article, I started going, oh, my God, like, what did we do, you know? just one thing after another. So the takeaway, I, I think we're still in the process of processing all of this, to be honest with you. But he always says, you know, there's always, we're going to learn from this. There's going to be something else. I don't regret the money. I don't care. I mean, these are his words. I, I asked him for a quote. I said, well, what do, you, what do you miss? We talked tonight, and I said, well, what do you miss? He was telling me about the kids. He's like, I'm gonna go watch rugby because I need to feel like a man. I've been Mr. Mom for a couple weeks. So I'm gonna go tomorrow, which is when I land. So he's saying, I'm not gonna be there, you know, don't be offended. I said, No, no problem. So I go, Well, what do you miss? And he goes, Uh, I miss winning and the ball going in the net and hearing the fans cheer and I said, Well, what do you what do you what don't you miss? He goes, payroll. I don't miss payroll. <laughs> That's um true. You know, and whatever. He's just kind of on to the next thing, but he he swears he doesn't regret it. So, I don't know. I'm not really answering your question because I think it's going to take more time to find the humor in certain things and um, whatever, but it is what it is.
2: You mentioned Mike looking at rugby. You know, he's done this soccer thing. Um, obviously, he made his, his name in baseball. It's amazing that you know, it sounds like almost he's looking for the next challenge. He's, he's, he's made it to the Hall of Fame, something that wasn't easy. You know, everyone knows that story. And is baseball an option, doing something there? I mean, maybe you can't say that, but obviously the fans love it when you guys go back to City Field. You were there a couple of years ago with the Hall of Fame. He spent some time in spring training. But it does sound, listening to you and also reading that article, that there are other sports, and he wants to take his learnings from the game that he – mastered to other areas that baseball maybe not that he's not interested in it but maybe that's more his past than his future that's at least my outside observation
3: mike is all about timing if i could be honest and frank you know he's about timing and i think he has a lot to contribute and i think he's a great leader and he's a great teacher so i hope that he decides to do something more if he will is really up to him i can't force him and he's definitely not going to be pushed by this experience because I said, oh, why don't you go do this with the Mets? He's like, no, 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 it's not the right time. He's funny. Mike is very, he's interesting. Like I told you, he waits for his pitch. I don't know. I hope he does because he really does have a lot to contribute, but I can't really answer that. Again, I, I just, I hope he does, but he will not do it at all if it's not the right time, or he will if it feels right. But I, I can only say I, I hope he doesn't. And what I love about the Mets fans, one thing I have to say about them just watching when we were on the field for when they retired his number and they, they put the family kind of deep into the field where you could see three quarters of the field and the fans were cheering and yelling and It was like a concert and I thought, oh my God, this is like real love. I mean, you could just, it was electrifying and I I thought this could be addicting. They get Mike, they really understand my moody husband. Those fans get him and they let him be him and I think that's why the Mets and Mike have a really good relationship. And if you know him, in this way, he's really loyal to you, but you have to kind of understand him. But the Mets fans no, do get him.
2: That and that was and look, you know, think about turnarounds. You know, things weren't great with Mets fans and Mike when he first came over, and and certainly that that turned around. Now for you, you know, you took some hits on this. Um, you you you've articulated uh, the story very well here. Anybody that's read that piece who has an opinion about you that may not be positive, what do you want to throw that takeaway to them? What do you want to say? Is there anything you want to get out there? Because this wasn't just you being Mike Piazza's wife. You were the VP of the team. You dived into the financials. You tried to make this work just as much as Mike. Maybe Mike was doing the on-the-field stuff, and, and and you were doing the off-the-field stuff, which is, in this situation, is probably just as hard, if not harder, because of the situation. What do you want them – to take away from you if you had to you know, throw one or two things out there? If you want to, just something to think about.
3: Well, one, I would say I just – I was still in a lot of pain, and so was Mike, and so I was off balance. And normally when you're off balance, you know, for me, I hibernate, and so does Mike. We, we both were Virgos, we go underground. But because this writer was already digging around um, and going to write something, it was, prompted us to just, well, let's just speak to him. So, number one, I wasn't in, in my – I, I just wasn't balanced, and I was too emotional to even be speaking. So – and I didn't think my F-bombs were going to make uh, news, to be honest. And I also, I, I really think <laughs> I need to apologize to Pittsburgh, where I've never been, and my girlfriend who made this comment has never Ben, I don't think because she's Italian, and I really didn't mean any malice by that. I, I, I just was not, you know, I was in a lot of pain, and probably I would use no diplomacy really when I said that. But that's really it. Just, um, it just was not the right time to be to be speaking, you know. So I'll wear it. I guess I have to wear that. The damage is done. I and and Mike felt bad. He he saw it coming. I didn't. I said, oh, because we had already been through it in Italy with the corruption. I was like, no, he's American. He gets it. He knows we're just venting. He's not going to do that. Oh, please. Mike. Mike's like, no, Alicia, I'm worried. I'm worried. And Mike was right. He was right. It was a disaster. That's,
2: uh, that's experience. That's experience of the New York media. So listen, I know you're busy, so we'll wrap up. Anything else that sure. you have going on? Anything no. else that you oh, want to yeah. let those know about? I mean, you've been, you've been generous with your time, and I think you know, the, the good part about all this is that at least now, the, 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 you know, the fans here in the United States, whether this ever gets to Italy or not, who knows? I don't know how many uh, Mets fans there are over in Italy. Maybe, maybe a few. Uh, at least you and Mike you know, do you want them to, you know, anything you want to put out there, promote, anything you you got going on?
3: Oh, we're just, you know, living our lives. Mike has his contract with the mess. I'm going to go back to writing my articles for how living magazine. Now I have lots of material. I do the, I used to do the travel section for five years. Um, and then when we had the team, I had no time. So I'm going to go back to that. So I'm going to have lots of material in Europe and Our kids are flourishing, and he has his contract with the Mets, and we're just going to take a little breather, I think, for the moment. So I thank you for the opportunity and your time, too, Mike.
1: Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. All right, we're back, and I hope you enjoyed that. I thought it was uh, well done. I thought Alicia did a really nice job, and I appreciate her coming on. And the real story, if you really listen, there is is not necessarily. Even though it's fascinating to see how Mike uh, risked, really, what you know, he's accomplished so much as a player. He got into the Hall of Fame. He's been through so much. Uh, you know, even though you know he's had such a successful career, and Mets fans love him. You guys all know how hard it was the transition to New York, and it wasn't always easy in New York. They had 99, they had 2000. They didn't have such great years after that. You know, they had a, a decent year on his way out. And then they go and they have a really great year of the year after he leaves. And then the the whole post-career drama of accusations, Hall of Fame, you know, everybody, I was part of that who, who really looked at the numbers and looked at things objectively, knew that Mike was a Hall of Famer and were, were bothered by what essentially – are unfounded accusations. He's never failed a a test, uh, any kind of steroid test. But that's not what it's about. You know, he gets into this project uh, because he loves sports, because he has a passion for working with athletes, uh, and and it really shows. It shows in that article, like I said, and you heard Alicia talk about how Mike was with the team. And the real story, even though you can talk about that, and that's a New York, maybe a more of a Mets fan interest in Mike, could be a baseball interest, but Mets fans are going to take always more interest than Mike in that sense. The real story is, is that Italian soccer still seems to have a ton of problems. We have these structured sports leagues here in the United States that we take for granted. That, yes, there's been issues with referees in the NBA, and you wonder about, you know, officiating in general in the NFL. It's a mess right now. Is there any foul play? I mean, anything could happen, right? But we have these structured leagues the Mets will be there next year. The, the Rays will be there next year. Teams do move. Teams do have financial issues. But in Italy, when you're listening to Alicia and even me talking to her off the air, it's not like that with these teams unless you're one of the big players. I mean, you you could go bankrupt. You have to uh, sing for your supper a lot of ways. I mean, they weren't even in their, own, in their own stadium, which was the prior regime, not their fault. They were paying rent in their own stadium to somebody else. Who really didn't have an interest in them being successful? So you have the referees and the and the and the climate of the league against you. You have an underworld of money involved. Uh, you know, there's the entertainment factor, and, and maybe they want to paint their own narrative with the league. So. You come in and you get into what you think is, like you heard her say, Mike thought he was getting into a city and a team that was similar to where the Mets were in the late 90s when he came in, and he could really sink his teeth into this, and his intentions were good, and it went awry. They stuck with it. Um, I know some people have that opinion about you know what they did and didn't do, but at the end of the day, I think you could take away this one thing. I don't think their intentions were bad. I give them a lot of credit for sticking it out. Uh, I don't know if I would have stuck it out after I looked at the finances and saw how bad things were, me personally, if I was in that position. And uh, I think at least you have to give Alicia credit where, yes, she came in and had to make decisions and make business decisions and really peel the the Band-Aid off. But it wasn't anything more than just like Mike to see if they could make this work. And uh, they sacrificed their personal life. Uh, You know, Mike had put a couple of years of his retirement to the side. Um, you know, I'm sure he could do other things. We know he could do other things, and he put his time to this. And I think he at least deserves credit for that. Yes, am I giving you a pro piazza, uh, positive uh, slant to this? You know, I am. I have a ton of respect for Mike. I know Mets fans who listen to this show do what he meant to the city and this team uh, in the late '90s. No one's ever going to forget. It's it's one of the uh, the eras of Mets history, especially for a generation generation of like guys like me in their '40s who are young. And teenagers back then, they're always going to appreciate it as baseball fans. But putting that aside, I think just objectively looking at it, you get a different feel of the whole situation when you hear it from, the lack of a better word, the horse's mouth. So, again, I wanted to end kind of our off-season portion because we are going into spring training after that with a feature. I thought this was a fascinating story. I'm really appreciative that both Mike and Alicia agreed for Alicia to come on and, and kind of give their take. They could have went to other media outlets. Uh, they didn't have to come to this uh, humble podcast. We have a great following, but I'm not ESPN. I'm not SNY. I'm not the New York Post. You all guys will know that. So anyway, um, I thought you'd enjoy it. I'm glad she had a chance to get her words out there to the the fans that I think appreciate and love Mike the most, which are Mets fans, and Dodgers fans could argue that too. But uh, I thought it was an interesting way to uh, and really end what is our hot stove portion of the offseason, because the next time we, we join each other, it'll still... Be maybe around prior to spring training, but we're really looking forward, looking forward to the season. Yes, there'll be some free agency talk. I, I, there's talk that the Mets may still get involved in certain free agents like Gio Gonzalez and so on. But we're really talking about spring training and building the team and what the 25 man roster will look like and how the Mets could bring this new squad together and what they need to do. To move away from two very disappointing seasons and maybe point things back to 2015, 2016 when they were playoff teams and contenders and and whatever window of opportunity they have with this pitching and how much longer this pitching will be together, how can they leverage that to, to get the best possible results that they can? So anyway, I want to thank Alicia Piazza for coming on and chatting with us today. Of course, you can check me out all the time at MetsamorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. And enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. Spring training's here. We'll talk soon.